a traditional data center is going to cost you around five to, um, well, actually not five million fully built out is uh, per megawatt is usually what a traditional data center costs. A crypto mining data center, however, is always going to be under 300, uh, 300k USD uh, per megawatt. That's a that's a big price difference. Um, so blockchain is and, and cryptocurrency has always been about how do you go and push the edge of this technology, and that that is awesome. Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. Uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, I, I've just been running around, going to so many different offices, and I finally get home record this podcast, and now I got to run out. It's just been such a crazy day. How are you doing? Well, we won't hold you too long because this episode was so fire. I want to get to it as soon as possible. Christy is just such a wealth of knowledge about all things mining. She is uh, probably one of the most elite people in the field of uh, chip design. Uh, No, not chip design, but just hardware about uh, GPUs and ASICs and and the intersection with that with cryptocurrency and, and blockchain mining. Uh, and we, we picked her brain with a number of different things, talked about um, Bitcoin efficient, Bitcoin mining efficiency, talked about uh, the relationships between uh, GPUs versus ASICs and how that impacts the blockchain that the, that the relevant um, chip is mining. Uh, we talked about the social equality issues and, and how that, that can be resolved to some degree with uh, cryptocurrency mining. Uh, Christian, what other topics did we talk about that you liked? Yeah, so Christy Minahan, she is the CTO of Core Scientific, which is essentially, you know, they are a data center company and, you know, they do AI, they do uh, blockchain mining, cryptocurrency mining, uh, they do all kinds of stuff in that realm. And uh, Christy is super, super, you know, interesting and experienced. She's pretty much been in the space since the beginning, uh, worked at Genesis Mining. Uh, and she just has such a wealth of knowledge in both the ASIC area as well as the GPU area. And I think she brings a really interesting perspective to the entire mining ecosystem. So I was super excited to talk to her and really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, tons of really good insights about what is actually going on. And we even get into like the details of you know how much energy Bitcoin consumes compared to companies like Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Apple. A really great interview and uh, super informative. You guys are going to love it. Yeah, if you guys have ever been stuck in a corner trying to dispel the FUD around how much energy that cryptocurrency mining is sucking up, listen to this episode. You'll be well equipped to to counter that FUD in the future, as well as another uh, a bunch of other tidbits of good informa- information. Christy is super intelligent, so we're going to get us dunces off of this intro. So without further ado, Christy Minahan. All right, everyone, we are coming in with another episode of POV Crypto. I am extremely thrilled and excited to bring you a interview that's been in the works for a little bit now, uh, but we finally found time on the calendar to talk with the wonderful Christy Lay Mineham. Is it Mineham or uh, how, do you, how do you pronounce your last name? 
Minahan. I wish it Min- was uh, Minahan. That would be way cooler. M- Minahan. Well, Minahan is, is almost perfect because you are the CTO of Core Scientific, um, a massive data company uh, based, is it in the US, um, mm-hmm. New York area? Um, no, you guys are doing- uh, yeah, we're based out of uh, Bellevue, Washington. Um, oh, no way. I'm in Seattle. Yeah. Oh, cheers. <laughs> cheers. Um, we own, we own uh, data centers um, all across the U.S. Awesome. Well, I should have checked my facts before doing the intro, but thanks for the correction. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I've been following you on Twitter for quite a while. Um, I think there's okay. a lot of things that you're doing that are extremely interesting and unique. And again, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. would love to start off just with a little bit about yourself as well as, you know, what you do with Core Scientific. Sure. Um, So, hi, I'm uh, mostly known as Ogoda Girl. I've been in this space since 2008, but professionally since 2010. So I was receiving a paycheck in 2010. And I started my career uh, writing cryptocurrency software or cryptocurrency mining software. And slowly that gravitated towards um, hardware development and design. Um, data centers and infrastructure. And I've kind of been a nomad for um, for about six years until I joined Genesis Mining, um, helped them build out their Chinese, uh, their Chinese branch and where we operated one of the largest data centers in the world, fully, fully built out. It was a capacity of 850 megawatts. And um, shortly after, uh, after leaving Genesis Mining in 2008, I joined Core Scientific as their CTO. Uh, Core Scientific is an infrastructure and software solutions provider around artificial intelligence and blockchain. Um, and we're still in stealth currently, and we're doing some crazy things. We're very well known for our management team, which includes our CEO, uh, Kevin Turner, the ex-chief uh, operating officer of Microsoft. And um, we're very well known for being also one of the first DGX ready data centers in the world, um, which means that we partnered with NVIDIA to build out an AI ready data center. So pretty cool. Core Scientific is doing stuff in mining as well as in just general data center infrastructure, AI. Can you kind of go in a little bit more into depth of like the scope of your operation? Again, we're, we're still in stealth, but I, <laughs> I, I guess I can talk in broader terms. So We've built out a business based upon the principles of um, blockchain and AI have a lot of synergies. One is they share an infrastructure base. The thermal footprint of blockchain mining or blockchain hardware is actually quite uh, similar to the thermal footprint of um, any kind of AI hardware. So you contrast a GPU server for crypto mining. It's actually got the same thermal footprint as um, a GPU server for um, like a DGX1 or DGX2. Same with ASICs. ASICs have the same sort of uh, thermal footprint, often higher than a AI server. So if you understand how to cool and operate um, a data center over on the blockchain side, chances are you can also do it on the AI side. Now there are some differences. You know, there's differences around network, there's differences around redundancy, but um, they still share this base layer of infrastructure. They also share a base layer of optimizations. So anything you know done on the um, AI side around how do we collect data, how do we verify data, can also be blended over onto the blockchain uh, blockchain side. I mean, at the end of the day, these two technologies are sharing a base foundation of data. Blockchain's about 
How do you go and verify data? How do you go and secure data? And how do you um, sync data across multiple nodes? AI is more about how do you collect this data and how do you start uh, consuming the data or um, manipulating the data to find patterns or parallels. So core scientific is all about how do we find these synergies and all the other things that we do, well, we're not talking about that um, just yet to the public. Apart from having a, a total synergy with the, the hardware aspect of cryptocurrency and how cryptocurrency mining is, is totally aligned with um, any interest that somebody might have with uh, NVIDIA GPU company, uh, the, the NVIDIA company with NVIDIA GPUs or AMD and, and, and chip design, uh, what about cryptocurrencies in interest you apart from the fact that you can mine them with chips? Um, so a big a big part of why I got so interested in cryptocurrency is it is a byproduct of blockchain, but the applications for crypto are um, quite large outside of just you know a distribution of wealth. Um, crypto is if you abstract it, it's really hey you're you're producing tokens that are a digital representation of something. Um, and that's that's kind of cool. So you can have digital representations of like physical pieces of hardware. You can have digital representations of um, stores of value, which we do. And that store of value doesn't actually have to just be fiat money. It can be things like, you know, land or rental deeds. It can be things like um, even, you know, uh, bills or subscriptions. Um, so cryptocurrency has kind of kind of changed how we're starting to think about how do we store data and transact data. Um, and that's been, you know, a big part of why I've been so passionate about this space. Aside from the fact that at the end of the day, you know, I've grown up in this space for 10 years. So obviously I'm a little biased to it. Something that you kind of talked about that uh, stuck with me, at least with the synergy that you're trying to find at Core Scientific is this focus on making things more efficient. And actually, I find that to be the antithesis of the mainstream narrative around cryptocurrency mining, right? A lot of times it's like portrayed uh, as being very wasteful, as, you know, being unnecessary. But it seems as though, and, and I would agree that it's actually the opposite. And it seems as though it's kind of uh, aligning core scientific in, you know, becoming more efficient and finding more efficient ways to do things rather than, you know, wasting energy. Uh, would love to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah, so usually the biggest complaint has always been about Bitcoin mining and people complain that, hey, you know, Bitcoin mining just consumes so much energy. Well, no one's actually thinking about what kind of energy Facebook consumes, what kind of energy Google consumes, um, AWS, you know, Netflix, HBO. Uh, how do you think Game of Thrones was streamed? to the world it's not it doesn't just magically come out of um you know the the sky out of the cloud you know real energy is still being spent so what bitcoin mining has actually done for the ecosystem in the last 10 years is it's it has taught people how to build a much more energy efficient data center how do you go and cool all of these megawatts of equipment with just air instead of using HVAC or raised floor like traditional data centers. That alone is kind of awesome. Um, most of the data centers, traditional data centers are raised floor and you're limited to the amount of um, heat you can actually put off from your servers. And they're also designed mostly for CPU-based um, CPU servers. Crypto mining has just all been about GPUs or ASICs or FPGAs. So 
what what has happened is all of that innovation around how do you go and build you know all in one data centers which we call containers or the the ecosystem calls containers how do you build those efficiently so that they can um, be repurposed for all different types of hardware how do you ensure that you're using uh, clean green energy to run your data center whether it's a crypto mining data center or an ai data center um how do you how do you go and figure out how to run a data center with a very low capex and opex footprint a traditional data center is going to cost you around 5 to um well actually not 5 million fully built out is uh, per megawatt is usually what a traditional data center costs a crypto mining data center however is always going to be under 300 uh, 300k usd uh, per megawatt that's a that's a big price difference um so blockchain is and and cryptocurrency has always been about how do you go and push the edge of this technology and that that is awesome the other thing that i've noticed in, in this industry as a trend as an aside is every person i talk to specifically hardware manufacturers when you tell them that you can save 10 watts per card they just they shoo it away it's like oh who cares about that it's just 10 watts and they're right you know in a traditional gaming uh, machine or in a traditional data center 10 watts per gpu card you don't really care now think about a crypto mining data center um you have atlantic crypto one of the largest based north american gpu farms they have 40000 uh gpus in one of their data centers for them 10 watts per gpu adds up quite substantially um so crypto mining is all about how do you just go and optimize how do you save and it ends up being very a very useful byproduct if you want to go and power a world economy i mean you have to have some form of verification some form of security so talking about efficiency uh i've i've heard a number of different metrics thrown around that kind of equate the amount of energy consumed by crypto/bitcoin mining at large and like the the one that comes to mind was that like if you add up all crypto/bitcoin mining together then it it was about the amount of energy that the all cars on planet earth use in about 3 days and you know that's that's an attractive metric at face value but um I, i'm willing to bet that whoever made that metric up just made it up um so i was wondering if you actually have some sort of like idea or measurement in your head for people who uh who maybe don't understand like what cryptocurrency mining is and like so what's a, what's a metric i can take to my to my sister who who thinks that you know bitcoin mining is going to consume the earth and and tell her that like you know it's actually just like a really marginal amount of energy compared to the whole rest of the world do is there something you have in your back pocket you can share with us i i wish there was i can say that um google consumes 407 megawatts of energy for just one of their data centers okay um and that serves that serves um you know their US uh their US region and their US servers um bitcoin is a is a global ecosystem it's a global world uh financial industry right now it's consuming around 5. Point, last i checked which was a, a week ago about 5.7 gigawatts globally which is really impressive um and of those 5.7 gigawatts at least 70% of that is running on hydropower uh solar energy, wind energy or some sort of green energy. Um depending on the region, people would also count nuclear as green energy, which I also learned, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there So that sorry, that 400 megawatts to what 4.7 gigawatts is that 
Is that that's the number? 5.7. So 5.7. So is it is 400? Is 400 megawatts 0.4 gigawatts? Is that the conversion? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. And then you said that a Google, a Google data center is 400 megawatts. How many? Do you know like how? Do you know how many like uh, uh, data centers Google has, or is it like three or thirty or three hundred? No one knows. No one knows. Collectively, I think they have. Uh, collectively, they have around uh, five or six mega, uh, gigawatts okay. worth of power. But no okay. one really knows. Okay. Um, High security know. places. Yes, <laughs> very <exactly>. secretive. <laughs> uh, companies, public companies like this, go out of their way to really obfuscate their infrastructure um, and hide it, as we saw with WikiLeaks when they revealed how many data centers Amazon actually had. Um, but you know, Facebook's data center in Sweden consumes 120 megawatts. Uh, their data center, and I believe it's um, Altoona consumes another 138 megawatts. Um, Apple Apple has a tiny one in Naden, North Carolina, which only consumes 20 megawatts. Um, but you, you put all these data centers together and you realize there's a ton of energy being consumed just for social media and for um, streaming and for feeding all that kind of stuff. It's only you know a fair assumption that something that's going to replace banks or financial systems is going to spread around the world and consume a bit of power. Would you... Uh... Would it be fair to say that uh, Bitcoin consumes a comparable amount of energy as one of the leading tech companies in the world? Like it's somewhere in those ranks? Yes. Okay. All right. Nice. Next time anyone complains about Bitcoin mining, I'm going to tell them to stop liking things on Instagram. <laughs> Bingo. Or stop watching Game of Thrones. Oh, well, oh. I guess that's too late. Yeah, too late yeah, now. It's done. <laughs> Let's not get into Game of Thrones. I feel like there's a lot of opinions there. Yeah. Um, I feel like ones. this is actually a really good place to transition into one of the topics that uh, I sent you. And and something that I think a lot of Bitcoiners will be interested to learn about just because Bitcoiners are so into the Bitcoin ecosystem and and what ASICs have done to mining. And they even, you know, talk smack about GPU mining as being something as like, you know, it was the the level before we've evolved to ASICs, um, but you are actually quite fascinated it, uh, with GPU mining and work with it a lot. Um, can you tell me a little bit, like, what's the difference between the two, and you know, even kind of extrapolate why they're both good, or they're you know, what are the trade offs? So I guess uh, we should we should take a step back and really clarify what it means when we talk about hardware versus crypto mining. So your hardware, your choice of hardware for a coin has a domino effect. That means that it actually defines what kind of users you're going to attract to the coin. So ASICs are more, they attract uh, enterprise or more uh, business or wealthy individuals. Why? Because they're, they're simplistic boxes that you just give power and internet to. They require very little maintenance outside of repairs. There's no troubleshooting. There's no developing for them or tweaking. It's just plug and play. This lends itself really well to if you're a very large business that wants to just uh, specialize in creating, you know, creating cryptocurrencies. Um, so ASICs more attract those enterprise kinds of players, which means that for Bitcoin, when you're thinking about where do you want your world financial system, you do want enterprises playing in it. You do want um, you do want businesses playing it. You want people that have that are putting in significant amounts of skin in the game. Um, so that lends itself very well to that specific coin. Now take Ethereum. 
Ethereum markets itself as a hub for developers. It markets itself as a technology for development and creation and um, a world computer. What should power a world computer? Obviously a form of programmable hardware. But more importantly, GPUs actually attract a lot of developers. So someone that gets into GPU mining is going to have to start learning Linux. He's going to have to be comfortable with build, uh, build uh, builds, make packages, etc. He's going to have to have a little bit of experience working around um, with drivers and with overclocking and underclocking. And as an aside, um, someone that's you know starting to get into GPU mining is going to be more interested in learning about Ethereum's technology. So there's actually a growth or a trend towards GPU miners. The other piece is that GPUs are more one-to-one um, -one paired, but they also allow for expansion or for um, specialization up until, until a certain cap. So ASICs don't um, actually drop. Uh, let me rephrase that. When you're deploying ASICs at scale, um, you don't really reach a cap on your economies of scale. You do with GPUs. So GPUs are restricted by your physical space. You can have usually eight to 16 GPUs in a server rig, and that um, you know 100,000 GPUs is actually gonna take up a massive 4,800 square foot building versus 10,000 ASICs, that's nothing, absolutely nothing. You can cram that into a, into a custom built um, two or three containers. So GPUs are- Why is that? Is that because of, of the cooling? Um, not just the cooling, the fact that GPUs have a lot of excess baggage attached to them. And I'm hesitant to say that word because a bunch of ASIC enthusiasts are going to go grab that and say, that's why GPUs are bad. But, you know, <laughs> it requires memory. It requires a motherboard. It requires a CPU. It requires a chasis. It requires fans. So it has a bit more um, baggage attached, attached to that GPU, which means a little bit more physical space. Um, cooling is actually very similar between ASICs and GPUs at scale. Mm. So going back to that point of um, GPUs end up incentivizing or creating developers um, through, this, through this chain reaction, there's also been a very strong correlation between uh, the amount of GPU, new GPU um, miners and the amount of new users of a cryptocurrency. So we saw this in both Zcash and Ethereum. In 2017, with the mining boom, you had mostly GPU miners entering into the space. That correlated very sharply with an increase of new Ethereum wallets and an increase of Ethereum spent, um, Ethereum sold. Um, Zcash saw this as well until ASICs entered into the game and that sharply dropped off. There were no more GPU miners on, on uh, Zcash. So you ended up having stagnated amount of new users per day. Um, so you, you didn't have that one-to-one -one contrast. The other great thing about GPUs is the hardware is readily available. So unfortunately, ASICs are still quite centralized. If you want to buy ASICs at scale, you need to have previous relationships with the manufacturers and you need to be in China. It's very hard to get a lot of these, uh, this equipment in North America or, or EU. You know, in the US, we have tariffs. Um, and taxes around that. There are shipping hurdles, there's logistical issues, there's manufacturing issues, and also a lot of this equipment isn't certified. Contrast this with GPUs, anyone can go on Amazon and order a GPU. 
anyone can go to Newegg or uh, Best Buy or whatever your local uh, mom and pop uh, store is and purchase a GPU. So they're kind of off the shelf, readily, uh, readily available hardware. Now, um, we, we can talk briefly as well about FPGAs and CPUs. FPGAs lend itself more to the hybrid of an enterprise. What is an FPGA, by the way? I'm sorry. Sure. A field programmable gate array. So think of it as a hybrid between a GPU and an ASIC. So a, a GPU is fully programmable. An FPGA is more like a big chunk of silicon, silicon where you have programmable buckets. Um, FPGAs are really good for very specific workloads. And you use an FPGA to simulate an ASIC design before you actually create a full ASIC. However, FPGAs require a lot of specialization. So you have to understand how, how to program them, basically how to write in uh, machine code or what we call HDL, uh, high level design language, to be able to, um, to change the algorithm. So it lends, FPGAs are lend themselves very well right now to some of the smaller cryptocurrencies. Um, things like uh, Lira2, Rev3, um, I think Veriscoin is being mined on FPGAs, etc. GPUs, meanwhile, are still heavily locked into Ethereum and um, Monero. And so FPGAs have a lot of restrictions around them. For one, they are tightly regulated by ITAR, which means that they're, they're treated like a classified weapon. Um, so you cannot ex export them uh, to certain countries. Um, this is because the amount of computing power uh, per chip is actually regulated. So you can't put these in North Korea. You can't ship them to Iran. You can have um, certain models shipped to China, but you're very limited on what models can be put into China, etc. So they're very tightly regulated, and they're usually Just only found me. in the U.S. Uh, two companies, Xilinx and Intel, acquired a subsidiary called Altera. So you have only two, two choices uh, on that. And there's a healthy functioning OEM ecosystem of people that make FPGA boards. They're also only produced uh, in very small quantities because no one is buying FPGAs at scale aside from uh, Google and Facebook for data center applications. Um, and then, yeah, on CPUs, you know, CPUs are just, they attract botnets and mobile phones. So if you want to make a cryptocurrency targeted towards more mobile phones or really lock a user in a one-to-one, -one, um, you know, a one-to-one -one ratio, CPUs are really good for that. However, getting a CPU-based algorithm is quite difficult. I really liked how your, your um, illustration of how uh, GPU mining lends itself to developers or, mm -hmm. or at least in, in my case, increasing increasing just people's usage of Ethereum. So I got into uh, uh, cryptocurrency through mining. Um, it was in the middle of 2017, and I remember in all the uh, gaming subreddits, uh, everyone was complaining about the prices of GPUs because all of the goddamn miners. And I'm like, well, what the hell's a miner, and why does that make my <laughs> GPU so valuable? And so I started in, uh, you know, going down that rabbit hole and learning that I, I can mine this thing called Ether on it, and I started doing that and I started making $4 a day off my one GPU. And I'm like, wow, $4 a day. That's, that's pretty good. Um, that's like what people cut out when they try and like, you know, not go to Starbucks every single morning. And so I'm on my way to physical therapy school thinking, man, I, I, it would be really nice to have a bunch of uh, passive income while I'm uh, taking on a bunch of student debt. So I scale my mining operations up 
and have like, put like four four miners in, in like one in my bathroom, one under my dad's like kitchen <laughs> island, like one in my one in my bedroom and one somewhere else. And then um, uh, and that's how I got into Ethereum. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, it kind of makes sense to to say like that the, the fact that I could mine Ether on a GPU brought me into the Ethereum world. And maybe maybe if I had um, fallen into crypto in a different way, I might have become a Bitcoiner and then we wouldn't have POV uh, crypto podcasts. We would just have Bitcoin point of view podcasts instead. Well, there you go. We, yeah. we have a data data point right here. Indeed. Indeed. You know, in, in 2017, when I was when I was building out um, with for Genesis Mining the, the data center, it was it was amazing to see how many people came into Ethereum just through the work we were doing. Specifically, um, you had you had a bunch of people I couldn't communicate with because there was a language barrier. You had little old ladies that were um, serving as like our janitors. You had you had some of the data center technicians, but they were all very curious about. Hey, what is this? What is this large German company doing here in China, and what are they using these GPUs for? And slowly they started learning about. Hey, they're mining Ethereum, and I I watched over the course of nine months. People started buying GPUs to run in their own house. So I'd visit some of the workers in the um in the you know the buildings we purchased for for them for living their apartments and. It was awesome to see that at least 30 to 40% of the workers had little GPUs running in their home. That was so cool to see. And, you know, they, they didn't understand about what Ethereum was. All they understood is, hey, if I put a GPU in, I can start making passive income. But about 10% of those got super interested in blockchain. They started researching, what is Ethereum? They started looking, what can I spend my Ethereum on? Especially since China at that time was starting to put pressure on shutting down exchanges. So they were like, okay, I've got this Ethereum. How do I convert it to RMB? Oh, wait, I can't really do that in a legal way. Let's figure out what other applications I can use it for. Um, that was just a fascinating trend to see. And so the 2017 mining boom indirectly contributed to so many new participants in the Ethereum ecosystem. You know, you had internet cafes. So many internet cafes reached out to us in China just wanting to mine Ethereum. And what they ended up doing is they figured out how do we, how do we then tokenize some of our game time? Um, and so they started researching around how do, we, how do we do this blockchain programming stuff? Or how do we create a token on Ethereum? How do we launch a smart contract? How do we do is issuance? That was a really cool side effect, and it all stemmed from crypto mining and from mining with GPUs. So, Christy, I know that uh, you you've been spending a lot of time in China, and I think this is a good time to segue into that. Um, tell us about you know the, your recent experiences in China and what's the difference between the cryptocurrency and mining communities there versus in the West. Well. A big difference that has been hard to stomach, but I'm slowly coming around to it, is that at least 70% of all of the cryptocurrency, uh, sorry, 70% of the entire Bitcoin network is secured in China. 50% of that is secured in one location called Sichuan. So that's kind of uh, kind of terrifying to deal with. And where does um, this information other, come from? Uh, that's That's honestly just spending time in all the data centers. Um, you can you can figure out how many ASICs are on the Bitcoin network right now. 
um, just through, hey, what is the average terahash of an S9? Um, because that's really a majority of the machines. We know that there are 4.5 million S9s currently out there mining um, based upon CoinShares report and analysis they did. Plus, we know how much InnoSilicon has produced. We know how much MicroBT has produced, um, honestly, through, through a lot of manufacturer information sharing. Um, and so you go to Sichuan and it's, it's amazing to see data centers that are just packed with ASIC miners. Um, there are clusters of 300 megawatts, 400 megawatts. There's, there's, I met one guy who runs a construction company in China and he already purchased $140 million worth of micro BTs and machines. And he doesn't understand what Bitcoin is. All he knows is that he can give it electricity and he can make some money. And that he was, he was an older gentleman. He was in his sixties uh, and he was so enthusiastic about mining. Um, so that was, that was something that was really interesting for me to see. Most of the Chinese miners are actually either wealthy individuals or just individuals. Contrast that with uh, European uh, mining and North American mining. Any large scale operation is actually what we call enterprise miners. So these are, these are more VCs or businesses that are specializing in crypto mining as a form of passive income. Um, so that, that kind of difference was kind of uh, was interesting to see. The other piece is that most of the miners in China have no understanding of the technology and they don't care. Um, they, they don't follow Twitter. You know, they're, they're abstracted from all of the politics. You, can, you cannot. Um, they don't understand who Blockstream is or who Roger Ver is. They're not paying attention to any of that. All that they know of is they know of Jihan. They know of uh, Dr. Yang from MicroBT. You know, they know of Gordon Al. They know of their heroes in the ASIC industry, but that's it. They don't know of any of the technology, any of the squabbles. Um, they don't really care about mining pools. They're just treating this like, hey, we give, we give this uh, hardware some electricity and we're making some money. So that means that they're very dedicated to optimizing and very dedicated to how do we make the most profit out of, um, how do we get the best bang for our buck? Contrast that to the US. US is very tribalistic. We're very passionate about getting involved in the politics. Um, we're very passionate about the technology and the applications of the technology. And we, we tend, uh, most of the large mining farms also tend to be actively involved in the political or the development side of a cryptocurrencies ecosystem. So some polarizing trends I've been noticing. That actually makes me a lot more bullish, to be honest. Like the centralization is scary, but this idea that the majority of it is politically or philosophically neutral or like commoditized to some degree, mm -hmm. it's just commoditized hash rate. They're just going to mine whatever's the best, you know, most profitable coin, no matter what. Like that's, that's pretty interesting. And I think it's, it is bullish. Is there a trend of like, there's a narrative that China is bleeding hash rate to other places because China's unfriendly to mining and there's other places that are becoming more friendly. Is that true? It is. It is. And it's a concern of the manufacturers. Um, a lot of them won't admit it up front, but you know, in, in the back talks in the, in the nighttime, when you're, when you're sitting around the table, having dinner, it's, it's a concern. So you see a lot of different um, miners, uh, sorry, a lot of different manufacturers now trying to diversify in two ways. One, they're starting to produce AI hardware, 
so that they can say, hey, we have a healthy business that's not just focused around blockchain. Two, Bitmain. we're going to, yes. Well, not just Bitmain, you know, Silicon and uh, and uh, MicroBT and Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Asics. So you, you see, you're seeing them diversify quite a lot. Um, you know, Silicon has just come out with their Grin Miner. Um, and one of the first iterations is really just a repurposed GPU card. It's, it's a compute core. So we're starting to see, you know, that trend um, occurring. We're also seeing manufacturers try and move their entire operation out of China around the manufacturing. Yes, they'll keep the design probably inside China just because they have, you know, m- most of their NRE costs already in China. They have everything factored. They have facilities and offices set up but they're trying to take all of their manufacturing and all of their design outside wherever they can. So we've seen this trend with um, more of the manufacturers migrating to Samsung, for instance, instead of dealing with TSMC China. Um, And some of the miners in China now have been very concerned. So not, not lovely Chinese construction guy who did $140 million in ASICs, he just doesn't care. But, um, you know, I've met, I've met a miner that has 3% of the total BTC hash rate, and he's now starting to move his entire fleet over to the U.S. because he doesn't want to risk his investment. He wants to diversify. So we're seeing this very slowly with some of the more, um, I would say, younger miners, miners under the age of 40 that are treating this as a long-term investment. Um, and the ones that are a little bit chaotic or um, not too seasoned are just saying, well, I, they're not paying attention to the news anyway, so they're just staying locked in. It, it does scare me a little to know that if 50% of the hash rate is in Sichuan, what's stopping the Chinese government from just walking around there, uh, seizing a lot of those farms and mining for themselves? I don't know. Incompetent, hopefully. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say the Chinese government is incompetent. They're very well tuned to crypto mining. They understand the revenues it brings in. And actually, some of the local governments, even though it is banned, do a bit of crypto mining themselves. So jumping in here, something that is really interested for the benefit of crypto mining is having a stable um, government and regulatory regime um so maybe they're afraid of disrupting that because that's almost like them kind of killing their their golden goose because i'm assuming it is bringing them you know relative like having it in-house is giving them you know a decent financial return not not necessarily because um how does the government make money the government makes money off taxes uh, no crypto miner in china is paying their taxes like maybe maybe a very small subset of them but most people are actually deploying this uh, this equipment to escape Chinese tax. Um, I saw that a lot in 2017. You know, you had you had some of these miners deploying ASICs at scale for Bitcoin, and they they showed on their their income statements, "Hey, I'm actually unemployed. I'm not earning anything." Um, so you know, the that this is this stems from why the government is cracking down. The government isn't scared of Bitcoin taking away power. The government isn't um, isn't angry at blockchain technology. They just want their taxes paid. They want a slice of the pie. And if people aren't going to pay their taxes, they're going to come cracking down. Government's in for some pain, but 
So I actually kind of want to take this in a different direction. Um, I know that you have a significant amount of exposure to Ethereum and Ethereum mining at large. And so uh, Ethereum is coming to an interesting crossroads where we we have this ProgPow issue, which seems to be in our rearview mirror. Um, but more importantly, we also have the issue of Ethereum 1 transferring into Ethereum 2, where Ethereum mining will eventually become, or at least will be at the start of the end of its story. Um, mm -hmm. at, the, at the genesis of Ethereum 2, we'll still have Ethereum 1 issuing uh, rewards to miners. I think that's the plan. Um, but in the long term, uh, I believe there is an Ice Age plan for Ethereum 1 where, like, I, I don't know what the timing is. It probably hasn't been determined. Um, but at some point, Ethereum 1 uh, block rewards approach 0, which is supposed to incentivize everyone to move over to Ethereum 2. Uh, and so you know, we have this issue where, you know, miners aren't going to want that. Uh, and, and then we also have this other issue that's more relevant today with ProgPow, where miners do want that. Uh, and so we have this... Um, I was wondering what your opinion is about uh, the role that miners have to play in this ecosystem. For me, as a personal miner, uh, I, I I'm it brought me into the Ethereum ecosystem and got me onboarded with like the thoughts about like that Vitalik has about proof of stake and the importance of that. But other miners, other thoughts are that Vitalik or, or miners are just these mercenaries that we just pay whatever drop whatever amount of money we we want to pay them to secure the blockchain. And so I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on the role that miners have. Like what, what do you, are they mercenaries or do, do we need to treat them with more respect? Like what, what, where do they fit in the whole like crypto economic incentive scheme? Yeah. So first I want to preface with, I think there's a lot of ignorance around um, how many, how mining just works in general on a political and a social issue. Miners Agreed. have never, never just been mercenaries. Um, most most miners actually stay locked into a coin. So take Ethereum, for example. Um, Hudson has publicly stated he's quite familiar with the majority of the Ethereum hash rate. Um, so am I. And most of those miners will never move their GPUs to another coin. Even Grin, at, the, at its peak of profitability, they didn't switch over. Why? Well, one, moving over a bunch of GPUs is a pain in the butt. Um, you lose about half of them due to failures, maybe your VBIOS wasn't correct, maybe you didn't get right kernel configs, it's just a pain. Um, again, managing GPUs at scale, not fun. So people Yeah, Christian going, knows this because he keeps trying to ask me to change the mining algorithm on his miner that I control to a different <laughs> mining. And I'm like, no, dude, it's a big pain in the butt. Like, we're leaving it on Ethereum. <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's, you end up becoming loyal out of laziness. So this is why GPUs are great. And then you take um, you take a company like Genesis Mining. For all the hate they get, they've actually done something really great in the space, which is they stay locked into a coin for at least one, two, or three years. So when you buy a contract for a Genesis Mining, on the back end, um, Genesis is locked into that coin to provide the hash rate. So they sold a bunch of Ethereum contracts for, I, I shouldn't say how many GPUs, but it was a lot of GPUs. You know, they, those GPUs today are still locked into Ethereum. They haven't moved to Zcash. They haven't moved to Grin. They haven't gone and mined whatever is the most profitable. They've been locked into Ethereum since they started. So there's, there's also a very big misunderstanding of what kind of damage can be done when you ignore um, the hardware that's been laid out to support a cryptocurrency. So we saw in 2017 this massive mining boom, which meant 
there were no GPUs available on the shelves and everyone was buying not only GPUs, but memory. Um, people don't realize uh, how, how, how that mining boom actually affected the entire silicone supply line. It was impossible to get any sort of memory chips for even your server products and your AI pieces. So um, because crypto miners were hoarding memory, actually Bitmain was hoarding memory. So was Genesis Mining. Um, so everyone was hoarding memory to go and produce their own GPU cards. It was impossible to buy any sort of GPU ASICs. Miners were also hoarding those and deploying it like crazy. It was impossible to get manufacturing space for PCBs. Um, it, was, it was just complete chaos. Uh, millions upon millions of dollars of hardware was laid out. Then Ethereum bursts in in 2018 and says, man, you know what? Fuck all those miners. Let's get rid of them. Let's do away with them. And all of a sudden, all the people that have just brought 480s or 580s are, are getting in, they're starting to panic and they're thinking, oh, what are we going to do with our GPUs? We, they haven't even ROI'd. We've just spent a ton of capital on them. But Ethereum also didn't think about, hey, what's going to happen to the supply chain? Now, no new GPUs cards are going to be sold because miners are going to end up reselling these GPUs on the secondhand market. If the secondhand market gets flooded, you have no new products being issued. So it was a real cause of concern. Micron, Samsung, and Hynix were also very concerned because if the market is flooded with a bunch of gray chips, so gray market chips or secondhand memory chips, they're not going to be able to put any new product out in the space. They already had their issuance for how many wafers they're going to produce for the year, how many chips they're going to produce for the year, carefully calculated. Uh, an oversupply of you know, mining equipment on the secondhand market completely uh, screws with that. So it causes a bit of chaos for computing as a whole and for any kind of technology as a whole. This would end up having side effects even around things like Teslas and smart cars, um, things like, uh, you know, Mac equipment, even your mobile phone. Um, so there's so much ignorance around, you know, chain reactions that can happen. What I like right now with Ethereum's schedule is that there's going to be a gentle taper off from all that equipment that was invested. So my hope is that no um, that no, no large enterprise miner will actually purchase brand new mining equipment. That is to say, for the sake of discussion, a bunch of 2080 TIs and throw that at Ethereum. Instead, what's going to happen is those people that purchased five, 570s, 580s are going to slowly taper out of the ecosystem in two or three years, which will correlate to when, you know, uh, Ethereum 1.0 completely disappears and there's only Ethereum 2.0. We'll have that gentle transition. The hardware won't be on the, you know, the used market or the secondhand market in any meaningful supply and things will, you know, be quite normal. ProgPow's goal is to help ease that transition. You know, we're, we're here to ensure that the people that laid out all of that economic incentive have a voice that they still have a place in the Ethereum ecosystem and that they still have the ability to keep securing it. Now, if you do away with ProgPal, what ends up happening is you have a small um, subset of people able to secure the Ethereum network um, that are running ASICs. Once again, you get a currency that's quite centralized, controlled by one or two parties, um, and you end up having some I have to be careful what I say here, given the position I'm in now, but 
I will say this for the last 10 years, watching what people will do just to make more profit is kind of scary. Um, and I think people would be very surprised to learn the kinds of attacks um, that are done in stealth just to generate more block rewards or just to get an e economic advantage. If you control the hardware issuance, if you control the hardware supply chain, you can be way more profitable and you can game the entire system. So you generally don't want to give that um, that incentivization to hardware manufacturers. And we already know historically that hardware manufacturers do compete with their customers and they do mine cryptocurrency at scale. Um, we know that Bitmain controls quite a large amount of the Bitcoin hash rate. We know that they control quite a lot, large portion of the Ethereum hash rate. We know that InnoSilicon Inno self-mines at scale and competes with their customers. Um, so there's, there's that history of that. Meanwhile, in GPU land, NVIDIA and AMD do not care about your shitcoin. They're never going to compete with you. They're not in the mining business. All their revenue is in selling hardware and specifically around the AI TAM. Um, the AI space is huge. It's a, it's a trillion dollar TAM. So they have no interest in crypto. Yeah. Even so, here's the other thing. People keep saying that hardware manufacturers might get an interest in crypto. Their, their interest, it's more concern. They're very concerned about the amount of hardware that's purchased in China and ends up on the gray market when crypto when a cryptocurrency disappears um, or when that card stops being profitable because again, it damages the supply chain. They're really concerned about um, uh, viruses or leaks um, or any kind of malicious firmware loaded onto a GPU card. Um, they're very concerned about you know, any kind of, uh, any kind of um, hardware, meaningful amount of hardware being deployed in some of the restricted countries, which could be used for all sorts of malicious um, activities. And I think it stresses them a little to know that I'm sure there's miners sitting in places like Belarus or uh, Russia with huge clusters of GPUs um, mining cryptocurrency. But what if they started using those GPUs for something else? <laughs> So Christy, kind of getting into our last question of the interview, I do want to kind of look towards the future. You have a really unique perspective into a lot of different facets of the mining ecosystem. And I kind of want to get your projections, you know, in, in the, the long term. And I know it's difficult to ask, you know, 10 to 15 years out, but would love to kind of get your idea of like, where do you see this going? Because I think that there is like this chain reaction cascade effect from now there's mining and there's this like bottom, like bottom price for, for consuming energy. Like what does that do? So wealth distribution is going to change quite a lot. I wish I could talk about it on the podcast, but Core Scientific is doing something really innovative around enabling um, a more standardized wealth distribution something that we hold very close to our hearts. When you um, guys announce it, will you announce it on our podcast? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You've got to beat me. You've got to beat me because I was going to announce it at um, Monero's Conferenzo. Oh, okay. So you'll have to beat them. <laughs> so one of the really great things about mining is it allows you to use your remnant cycles to, um, to produce a bit of extra cash. That alone shouldn't be scoffed at. Um, the effects of that are things like, hey, all of a sudden you can enable um, free free lease models around hardware. 
you can enable um, a bit of wealth di distribution for ensuring that, you know, if your device is plugged in and consuming electricity, at least it's doing some meaningful work you're getting paid for. It can allow a better wealth distribution in some of the, um, uh, in some of the parts of the world where, you know, jobs might not be in meaningful supply or it might be impossible to get a job or any form of work. It can also, one of the things I just briefly touching on, um, in my experience in this ecosystem, there are quite a few miners as well that can't get real, uh, can't get jobs, um, whether because they're disabled, because they're, um, you know, they're suffering from a mental, mental illness, because maybe they just don't have um, anything in the job market. Mining has allowed them to have some form of income to survive. That is kind of awesome. And they are doing a job. They are serving, you know, a purpose. They're securing a financial network. They're validating and extending, extending the blockchain. So imagine if all of a sudden you could scale that up worldwide and you could enable every piece of hardware, regardless of what it is, as long as it has some sort of programmable logic inside of it to start securing a, a certain coin network. That That's game changing for our economy. That's game changing for... Um, you know, uh, for individuals. I mean, um, think for a second, if all of a sudden you had a government, um, a government backed blockchain secured by government hardware, that's also awesome. Um, an awesome application of mining. So I think mining is going to be a part of our ecosystem. It's just going to evolve. Um, mining is going to become more embedded uh, more individual or a single purpose, uh, not single purpose, more tuned to a single user. Um, mining is going to become more commonplace in your household, uh, more commonplace in your workplace. Um, and the Bitcoin network will always be secured by enterprise, enterprises or businesses. We're going to slowly see that trend of miners gravitating out of China and becoming a little more distribution uh, distributed in places like US, Canada, in, uh, in Sweden, in Norway. Um, and we're going to see some of the altcoins like Monero more secured by this general purpose hardware. Um, and I don't think there's going to be a place for, for enterprise machines, aka ASICs, outside of Bitcoin. Um, try, try as they might, you know, the coins have spoken up. They see ASICs as a scourge. Now, where does proof of stake fit into this? Um, Proof of stake is a form of mining. They will hate. They will hate admitting it. But at the end, you're you're expending some sort of uh, resource, energy, um, as well as some sort of hardware. I mean, again, proof of stake doesn't magically happen in the cloud. You still have to run a node um, in order to generate a byproduct, which is your 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 stake um, and your your hashes. So it is a form of mining. And I think proof of stake is going to go nicely hand in hand with a lot of this embedded mining. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing more businesses and more enterprises participating in mining um, on this sort of embedded or more programmable level. Are you familiar with Google's uh, Stadia announcement? At the, the, I can't remember what conference they, they uh, released it at, but it's this big endeavor by Google to create a network of data centers that mm -hmm. can do a lot of the GPU work for game streaming. Uh, game streaming, for game streaming, right? And so like instead of buying an Xbox or a PlayStation, you buy this, some, this thing device that's a, a lot more akin to a Chromecast 
and then mm -hmm. all of the uh, GPU processing. You buy this controller too, and you can game through the Chromecast. But all the GPU work is done offsite in uh, in a like a local data center. I was wondering if if that is something that it has struck your interest. Better. Hopefully, hopefully it works way better. I'm sure there's going to be some hiccups in, in getting there, but I was, I was wondering if this, this sort of data center revamping is, going, is, is something that's piqued your interest or if that's something that you're following. I can say that Core is uh, following it very, very closely. Um, we might be involved in it in some manner, but hmm. what? Um, <laughs> just, uh, just touching on kind of the hurdles Google has to, has to get over with this, latency. Latency right. is critical for any kind of competitive game. So cloud-based gaming serves the niche of the home user, the person who wants to play more platforms or puzzle games, or um, even you know some platformers, but they're, they're not really competing online. They're not dealing with multiple different networks and latency. Mm -hmm. Whenever you wanna do some sort of type of competitive gaming or any kind of VR streaming, um, latency is really critical to the user experience. So Google needs to ensure that there's actually a data center in every single town to get over this latency issue. And the reality is that um, right now that's not possible. If 5G networks were rolled out globally, it might be possible. What I do like is that what, what cloud gaming is actually going to achieve is it's not actually meant for people that you know are sitting in San Francisco with amazing internet and that have a ton of consoles in their house. It's not going to um, disadvantage uh, those kinds of people. It's more for people that are in areas um, like, uh, like um, parts of Korea or you know, parts of Africa, parts of uh, Venezuela who can't easily get this hardware all of a sudden they're going to get to participate in video games again. That is what cloud gaming is really targeted towards. It brings in a bunch of new participants into this ecosystem. And it also allows you to secure your video games. So we're still dealing with this issue of how do you secure IP, specifically in the video game world. Hacking is a thing. Um, so all of a sudden, if you're having it on a cloud gaming platform, you know, it's just streaming the data, nothing's being stored locally on your machine. Hopefully if they do it correctly, that's, that's quite nice. Um, that means that game developers don't have to throw millions of dollars in investing in protecting their IP. They can instead reinvest that into just creating lots of new innovations and really cool video games. It's really cool to see the impacts of GPU technology both foster what you were saying where, you know, other less um, advantaged countries begin, uh, gaining access to some of this infrastructure, both in the, the data center, you know, uh, gaming side of things, but also with cryptocurrency. And so that's a nice note to leave it on. I'm really happy that somebody like you is focused on the, uh, the uh, social inequality aspects of of both cryptocurrency and the the hardware aspects of of you know algorithms and 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 chips and and how this stuff is really impacting society. So, Chrissy, thank you for for coming on the podcast and and sharing some of your some of the most uh, niche thoughts that we wouldn't be able to find anywhere else. So, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. So, Christy, where can people uh, find you online? Uh, who do you want to hear from? I want to hear from everyone. Um, if you're in the if you're in the Washington Careful what you uh, wish for. State, <laughs> if you're in the Washington state area, um, would love to have a coffee with you. If you want to talk mining, AI, blockchain applications, um, you can find me on Twitter at um, at oh got a girl. Uh, if you great are, handle, 
Yeah. I know, right? I know. Oh no, a girl. Um, <laughs> oh god. <laughs> what do I um, do? <laughs> if, you're, if you're looking for a job, you can also hit me up at Ogata Girl. Um, we are we are hiring um, scrappy, talented, and driven individuals that want to come and make history. Any specific skill sets you're looking for? Uh, honestly, it's about attitude. Uh, Core Scientific is about attitude, less um, less skill set. So we're firm believers in that you can teach anyone um, a certain job or a certain skill, but you can't teach attitude. So as long as you're curious, driven, and hungry, we might have a spot for you. Oh, awesome. Well, you guys uh, heard heard the girl. Uh, go ahead and uh, shout out to Christy. And, and Christy, if you're ever in Seattle, yeah, I will take you up on that coffee for sure. Awesome. Well, I'm... We definitely need to catch up then and talk mining. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> Hopefully you can help me fix this one in the living room. David, maybe Christy can help you tune up my uh, my rigs. <laughs> yeah, my uh, hunters are a little Let's bit Let's get some efficiency anyway. out of those bad yeah. boys. <laughs> Squeeze them out. You're getting, you're getting cheap electricity. You're doing just fine. <laughs> All right, guys. You can follow the podcast at POV Crypto. You can follow me at Trustless State. Christian, where can they find you, sir? Awesome. Yeah, you can find me at CK underscore Snarks. Please, five-star review, guys. We need to get to 100. I'm telling you, our reviews are directly correlated with the Bitcoin price. So if you want 10,000 Bitcoin, you need to get us to 100 reviews. Long way to go. You know who you are. It's well known that uh, POV crypto reviews are highly correlated with crypto prices. So this is a fact. It is a fact. <laughs> All right. Peace. All right. Bye, everyone.